Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Iron Man and Agent Carter episodes. Sadly, Seb and James don't join me for these minisodes, but instead I give you my reactions to the comics that they recommended on last week's show. Those were the Iron Man comics, Extremis and The Five Nightmares. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. No big trailers since the last episode of Cinematic Universe, which might be a first for the history of the podcast. Uh, What we did get, though, was our first look at Jason Momoa's Aquaman. And it's fair to say that it's quite a remove from the comic book version of the character. The poster featuring Momoa's Aquaman was tweeted by Batman vs Superman director Zack Snyder and came adorned with the tagline, Unite the Seven. Speculation is so far concerned whether that refers to the Seven Seas or to the seven founding members of the Justice League, but we believe it's the latter. In fact, we're expecting each of the potential Justice League members, that's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman and Cyborg, to at least cameo in Batman vs Superman ahead of the Justice League movie. Except perhaps for Green Lantern, who we suspect is the seventh member, but is yet to be cast. So while Green Lantern's role in the DC Universe remains a little bit uncertain outside of his confirmed solo movie, we wouldn't rule out his appearance in Batman vs Superman, even though we've heard whispers that there have been plans at Warner Brothers to include Martian Manhunter in the Justice League movie too. Next, an update on Spider-Man. While it was the accepted wisdom that the next Spider-Man would be likely both A. White and B. Peter Parker... Jeff Snyder from the Hollywood trade The Rap suggested otherwise on his Meet the Movie Press podcast. Snyder said he believed there was a 95% chance the next Spidey would be either black or Latino, and that perceived racism in the leaked Sony emails would play into the studio's decision. He also stated he didn't think the next Spidey would be Peter Parker either, uh, so hopefully it won't be too long either way until we find out the identity of the new Spider-Man. Morena Bakarin has been confirmed as the female lead in Deadpool. The Firefly Homeland and currently Gotham star joins Ryan Reynolds, TJ Miller, Ed Screen and Gina Carano in the movie. And all sources tell us that she'll be playing the role of Vanessa Carlisle, who in the comics is a mutant with the power of shape-shifting, otherwise known as copycat. She'll be a prostitute who falls for Wade Wilson in the film and subsequently gets caught up in the fight between Deadpool and the movie's villain, Ajax. Ajax is the role we believe will be played by Ed Screen. A casting call for Deadpool was also discovered last week, and after getting James to cast his expert eyes over it, he said it sounds like some of the other roles being cast could be Blind Al, Weasel, and T-Ray. We also learned that the mutant Colossus will appear in Deadpool, but he will not be played by previous actor Daniel Cudmore. And elsewhere in the X-Men universe, Cody Smith-McPhee has been cast as a young Nightcrawler in Brian Singer's X-Men Apocalypse. 
Fox has ordered a pilot for a TV adaptation of DC's Vertigo imprint, Lucifer. The show comes from Californication creator Tom Capinos, uh, will be directed by Underworld's Len Wiseman, and Jerry Bruckheimer will produce. Deadline reported the news and suggests the new show will lean towards being a police procedural. Seb has actually written an article about the project, which should be up and running on filmdivider.com at some point this week, and I'll definitely be discussing this news with Seb and James on next week's show. A new Daredevil still has teased a crossover with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., by revealing that Jack Murdoch once fought Carl Creel, who was of course S.H.I.E.L.D.'s absorbing man this season. Thanks to the BBFC, we also learned that at least the first three episodes of Daredevil this season will be 15 rated. That's the equivalent of an R rating in the US. Those first three episodes will each run for around 52 minutes and will be called Into the Ring, Cutman and Rabbit in a Snowstorm. We got a new Age of Ultron poster to feast our eyes on, and while it might not be a work of art, uh, it does confirm that Nick Fury, Peggy Carter, Eric Selvig, Heimdall and Falcon will appear in the movie, with Falcon being the only one that we were really previously unsure about. However, given that Idris Elba previously suggested that he'd filmed a scene with Tom Hiddleston, we'd be very surprised if all the movie's cameos had been given away on that poster. One last tidbit the poster reveals is that, in addition to Brian Tyler's score, Danny Elfman has also written some additional music for the film, which could mean any number of very exciting or very mundane things, so we'll really have to wait until the movie comes out to find out which of those it is. And now to round out some casting news, Callista Flockhart will be joining Supergirl as a potential series regular, should a full season of Supergirl be ordered, in the role of Cat Grant, Kara's boss who is a self-made media magnate. Nashville's Laura Benanti will also star as Kara's Kryptonian mother, Allura Zorel, in the pilot. And in some very late-breaking news, it appears the Supergirl casting department are currently looking for a photo double for an iconic DC Comics superhero. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. Jay Hernandez has joined the cast of Suicide Squad in a small role. AKA Jessica Jones has cast Empire's Ika Darville, The Kings of Summer's Erin Moriarty, and Red Window's Will Travel. Hellboy's Doug Jones has joined Arrow as the villain Deathbolt. And Adrian Palicki has been bumped up to series regular status on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is particularly good news. And finally, while the Academy handed out its big awards to a film that takes an enormous swipe at superhero movies and threw a few digs at the superhero genre into the ceremony itself this weekend, the 2015 Oscars were also dominated by a whole host of presenters who are either already or are soon to be comic book movie actors. In fact, if you just take a look at the 20 nominated actors, you'll find Rocket Raccoon, Doctor Strange, Batman, Black Cat... Talia Al Ghul, J. Jonah Jameson, Gwen Stacy, and not one, but two Hulks. Add to that that this was a ceremony that nominated three superhero movies, and to top it all off, Big Hero 6 was the winner in the animated category. That's a Disney superhero cartoon based on Marvel characters. We're not quite sure whether the Academy loves comic book movies or hates them, but for more eloquent thoughts on the matter, you could head to James Gunn's Facebook page where he responds to the jokes at the Oscars and the comments from Nightcrawler director Dan Gilroy the night before at the Independent Spirit Awards in a little bit more detail. Okay, that's it for this week's news. Let's move on to the Iron Man comic reaction segment. 
Okay, so let's kick things off with the six-issue Extremis by Warren Ellis and Adi Granov. Um, and as if to highlight the slow learning curve that I'm currently experiencing with comic books, I have been told in the past two weeks that I should be crediting the writer and the artist. So expect me to do that from now on and just forgive my naivety prior to this. And I kind of hate to do this, but after learning to credit the artist, I kind of want to say how much I didn't like the art style of Extremis. <laughs> was kind of ugly. Uncanny Valley territory, almost. In that kind of, like, it, it looked a little bit too real for me. Like, not stylized enough as a comic book, or certainly not in the comic books that I'm used to. It was it was jarring for me to read something in that style. It almost looks like, you know, those uh, Japanese news reports that you get that are recreations of real events? Like that kind of weird, sheepish kind of CG that looks a little bit too real, but also dead behind the eyes. Um, that aside, I am I am a bit of a fan of Extremists. Um, I enjoyed it. I actually thought that the two recommendations I got this week, Extremists would have been the perfect comic to read just before seeing the first Iron Man movie, and that The Five Nightmares would be the perfect one to read just after having seen the Iron Man movie. So yeah, Extremists, I felt like they got off to a little bit of a slow start with, with Tony quite reserved and having the conversation with the documentary maker. And then at about three or four issues in, uh, it hits... A furious pace, really. Almost with all with all the fight scenes that occur. I mean, you get two enormous fight scenes between uh, Iron Man and Malin, who is the villain. And as a result, because there, were, there seemed to be so little dialogue relative to what I've read before, it felt slight, like slightly slight, if that makes sense, but slight nonetheless. I enjoyed that this was a re-origin story, in that it it references the original origin. I don't know if this is the comic that Seven James were referring to as retconning the origin to be in the Middle East rather than in Vietnam, but you get you get the references to that kind of stuff. But then at the same time, you're essentially getting this re-origin story of how Tony Stark's Iron Man goes from being that version of a hero to a bigger, better, more powerful hero. It's a very focused, self-contained story. There's a there's a few references to the Avengers, and they re- mention Fin Fang Foom, who I understand is a, an Iron Man villain, who at one point I thought might have been the Metal Snake flying through the streets of New York in the Avengers trailer. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> but apart from that, it stays really quite contained to this story, to Tony, to Maya Hansen, and to Malin and the Extremist Virus. It doesn't really give you much on Iron Man outside of this story. Outside of, as I say, that origin story, but that origin story that felt pivotal to this story because it was being retold, reimagined. It was Tony explicitly saying, going through the same thing again, where his body has failed him and he needed the Iron Man suit to literally save his life. In that regard, Malin is a very intimidating villain. To start with, when he seemed so badass and terrifying and powerful, I almost wondered whether we were witnessing like a new recurring villain in the Iron Man canon being created. But as the story goes on, it kind of makes sense that that's absolutely not what we're seeing. We need to the story needs to have a villain that is capable of like almost killing Iron Man, a really really strong villain. But then literally it's just two issues later where 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tony has made his transformation from pre-extremist Iron Man to post-extremist Iron Man. And after those upgrades, there's no contest. So you go from a villain who is capable of almost killing Tony to a villain who's swatted aside at this new ver- with this new version of the Iron Man suit. And so while extremist is cool, it's really cool. Um, and its powers seem vast you know just in 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 what it does to tony's mind and in the responsiveness of the suit and the power of the suit i can see now looking at iron man 3 which took its cues from extremists why iron man 3 didn't fully utilize the powers of extremists it's almost too powerful i think to be completely integrated on screen but i can only imagine if tony got that extremist suit in the movies you'd go well at least the villains that he has to face from now on have to be that much more powerful every single time. Otherwise, it just doesn't seem believable that Tony wouldn't be destroying them. Um, and I also I also like, though, that the extremists makes Tony seem even more cutting edge. He goes from an inventor, a very intelligent inventor, to... And I, I kept seeing this term thrown around in the comic and and actually in the, I think it comes up in the Five Nightmares as well, of Tony being seen as a futurist, as a guy who is... Like, I think he even says that extremist goes beyond the bleeding edge of tech. This is as good as anyone can possibly be, technology-wise. I can imagine after 30, 40 years, however long Tony Stark has been a comic book character, that the Iron Suit, when you first see it, is like, whoa, that is incredible, this future vision of almost a robot man. But in the 2000, 2005, 2004, when Extremist came out, that that wasn't that impressive anymore and and to take tony to these technological extremes that that again to a modern audience seem very advanced is a smart move for that character so the five nightmares comes from matt fraction and salvador la Roca. and um yeah this is just artwork that i'm i'm more comfortable with reading it seems more my kind of thing um i did i did much prefer the art but i found the the rhythm of the comic and the speech a little bit tougher to read. It wasn't as natural. It took me a few issues to get into it, which wasn't the case for extremists. But at least 
at least I liked the visuals mostly of each page. Um, there were a few inconsistencies with the look of the characters. Like I was never quite sure until someone said that uh, I was looking at Ezekiel Stain in the first couple of issues compared to the last couple of issues. And Maria Hill also looked a little bit... I'm sure her hair changes colour. I don't know if that's just me, but I'm sure her hair could change colour during, like, from panel to panel in this comic. Maybe it's just lighting. That aside, I'm not really sure why Ezekiel Stain needed to be a relative of Obadiah Stain other than as a point of reference for movie fans. But... Uh, maybe I've answered my own question there. This seemed, I don't know, I mean, I've been told it is a comic that is very much designed to be a jumping on point for someone who has enjoyed the movie and wants to get into Iron Man without fe- feeling completely overwhelmed by it. And I felt that. I absolutely felt that. The Tony Stark on the page felt like the Robert Downey Jr. version of Tony Stark. He's, he's likeable. He's super smart. He's flawed. He's quick-witted. He's a womanizer. He's with a half-naked woman in the very first couple of pages of this comic uh, after the very grim terrorist attack in Africa at the start. His relationship with Pepper felt fairly similar to the movie. The little that we see of Rhodey in the comic in the first issue, that relationship seems similar. I was surprised that we saw as little of Rhodey as we did, and that, and that that applies to both of the comics. The same for Happy Hogan, who I don't think pops up in either. So to come to Tony's Five Nightmares, which again seems like a great way to introduce a character. Hey, here's this guy, here are these five things that kind of define what worry him in his role as this hero. So he's worried about drinking again, which kind of hints at his alcoholic past, which wasn't a part of the films. I think maybe we we briefly touched on it in Iron Man 2, but it's never really properly explored um and i i have to wonder with robert downey jr's future role in the marvel universe the marvel cinematic universe whether that will ever be explored now and then we get so his other nightmares are that his suit will become cheap and replicable that someone else will pilot a suit uh, someone else outside of him and roadie that is uh, that iron man will become disposable and thus that he wouldn't be iron man anymore because he wouldn't know what to do with himself and the final nightmare is that if a person ever does make it cheap and disposable that that person isn't him and of course that's what happens at the end of the first issue ezekiel stain has essentially created iron man 2.0 and ezekiel stain is not tony stark yeah it seems like a really smart reintroduction to a character i felt like i was being eased into iron man's world both of these comics did that actually but in a different way extremists felt like here is an iron man story that you don't need to know anything else about to enjoy whereas this felt like, here is an Iron Man story that's existing in this bigger universe. Let us slowly introduce you into this universe. I, I really liked his relationship with Maria Hill. That they are colleagues, very close colleagues, but that essentially they're ideologically opposed. So I'm hoping now that Maria Hill has been recalibrated in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be working for Stark Industries, maybe the relationship they have... in at S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics will be recreated at Stark Industries in the films. I think that would be great. I'm going back to Tony's battle with Ezekiel Stane across the comics. I liked that as it went on, we, we got the brief flashback where Tony explained his relationship with Obadiah and how you got a really nice idea of what Tony was like when he was an alcoholic and the battles he had to fight back then and also it really nicely set up the last couple of issues of the six being 
Tony thinking a couple of moves ahead, turning his fight with Ezekiel into a chess match. And it's nice to see the character's intellect at work. In Extremis, he essentially, yeah, he he shows that he's a clever guy by repurposing Extremis, but essentially it's him making himself better, faster, stronger. Um, But this was Tony really using his intellect to beat Ezekiel Stane. He turns it into a chess match. He thinks a couple of moves ahead. You see him moving the pieces. The comic makes no bones about it. This is how he plans to beat Ezekiel Stane. And yeah, there's one kind of mini twist between issue five and six, but um, I kind of guess that was coming. And that is that Tony has implemented lots of suits to come and fight on his behalf, his previous versions of the Iron Man suit, which again was a nice little reminder of Iron Man 3. Seven James could have, could have recommended these for Iron Man 1 or Iron Man 3. Both would have worked. Yeah, and then essentially what the fight between Tony and Ezekiel comes down to is almost like, it is Tony Stark as almost the embodiment of the American military, this, uh, for want of a better phrase, really want of a better phrase, a super soldier, uh, versus this ultimate version of a terrorist that you've essentially got Ezekiel calling Tony a fascist in the last couple of pages. And Tony's response to that is to say, I'm trying to save the world even when it doesn't see it. And then on the next page goes on to explicitly acknowledge that what Ezekiel Stane was saying to him was right. So we see Tony Stark emerge victorious, that we see we see our hero win. But I kind of felt, especially here, more than I felt in Extremist, which is ironic given that Extremist ends with him literally blowing a guy's head to smithereens. But this version of the hero felt like a more sinister one, almost. But when Ezekiel called him a fascist, it kind of it kind of struck a little bit close to home for me in that I thought, yeah, I kind of see that. He see, he does seem a little bit Judge Dreddy, almost. A very dialed back version, but certainly there is something there about a guy who says, I'm trying to save, that basically says, I'm going to save the world and I have to do it my way. It kind of redeems the character that he acknowledges at the end that essentially that is his sixth nightmare. And it's a very it's a very chilling way to close the book. This sixth nightmare that Tony says that Ezekiel has shown him what kind of man he has to become and what kind of things he has to do to keep his other nightmares from coming true. I mean, you could you could say fancifully that maybe that refers to what he thinks he might have to do to his body, that he might have to physically change again to become the kind of even more advanced version of Iron Man that Ezekiel created, that it literally was. His body had been replaced with these things. But I mean, really, what, it, what it's referring to is what he thinks he'll have to do, the sacrifices he'll have to make. It just comes off the back of him hearing that he had to essentially kill four people to defeat Ezekiel at the end. So this is the people he might have to hurt to achieve his vision of the greater good. And that's dark. That's really dark. For me, that sets up Tony as an anti-hero. And I, I don't know whether that's the path that the comics decided to go down. Also, Stark Industries is seemingly destroyed at the end of this, so I don't know whether he... He moves away from his business idea of being Tony Stark and and starts focusing even more on just being Iron Man. I found that to be a slightly worrying ending, and I, I'd be very interested to see where the Iron Man character has been taken since then. But given that we have an Avengers movie and two Iron Man movies to cover on the future of our podcast, um, I'm sure we'll get to some of them at some point. So yeah, that is it for this week. Don't forget that next week's episode will be covering all eight episodes of Agent Carter. So catch up on those before the next 
episode of Cinematic Universe if you can. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Player FM, or basically on your podcast app of choice. As far as we know, we're on all of them. If you've already subscribed, then please do leave us a rating or review. iTunes reviews are particularly appreciated. And if you are kind enough to leave us one, then we'll make sure we give you a shout out on the next episode of the show after you do you can find us on facebook on twitter at cu underscore podcast and you can send us an email to cinematic universe pod at gmail.com if you have any feedback see you next week Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.